Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gadget, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsborg Salina, and our flagship station where it all started, 88.1 KVDM Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are using these Catholic radio waves to cut through the heart of a deceptive culture. And as I often like to remind folks, you know, on a Sunday sermon, you know, a priest can get by with maybe 10, 12, if you're pushing it, 15 minutes um, before people start getting kind of antsy. But here on Catholic Radio, people are more relaxed and we can take our time and um, have quite a, bit of, quite a bit more time to go into more details and nuances and so forth to understand things better. And what I want to talk about today is a problem that vexes a lot of people, anybody that takes their Christian faith seriously, and that is our, uh, the obligation that we have as Christians to forgive other people. And a lot of people, rightly so, I think, kind of worry about this because over the years, I've been a priest for 30 years now, and I've had all kinds of conversations with people where they say something to the effect of, well, I know my faith calls me to forgive whoever. We'll talk about the whoever's here in a little bit, but I'm really having a hard time. Does that jeopardize my chances of getting into heaven? Well, the answer, according to Jesus, is yes, it does. And so we have to kind of look at that. But I think we also have to look at a, at a, at a more kind of a realistic, not in the sense of watered down, but you know, kind of what this forgiveness looks like. And we'll talk about that as the, as the program goes on as well. But what, what I want to start with is one of Jesus' parables from Matthew chapter 18. And I'm sure you've all heard it before. And um, so just bear with me as we'll, we'll read it here, and then um, we'll go back and kind of pick it apart and dissect it. It says, Then Jesus approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought in before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all of his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down and did him homage and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Move with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the debt. When that same servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. And falling on his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put into prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. Now, there's a lot going on there. 
first of all, Peter comes up and, you know, there's this cryptic, how much of, how often must I forgive? Seven times, you know, 77 times, or depending on the translation, it might say seven time, 70 times, seven times. Well, in Bible talk, seven means perfection. And so when Peter comes up and says, must I forgive him as many as seven times? What Peter is asking is, okay, somebody did something that offended me. And we'll talk about some of those degrees of offense here in a minute. And Peter says, do I have to forgive completely? Do I have to, you know, if, if I, you know, what if I forgive, but I don't forget? You know, what if I forgive, but, you know, I still, you know, I'm waiting for my chance to kind of get a dig in on this person or whatever. And so when, when, when he asks, you must forgive seven times, you know, he's asking, do I have to forgive completely? Because Peter's recognizing and St. Matthew's recognizing that whenever there are these, you know, incidences of hurt and betrayal and whatever they are, you know, the, the pain lasts a while. The scars don't, don't often just go away. And so, but then Jesus fires back, no, I say not seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, seven times seven times 10. You know, Jesus says not only forgive completely, but forgive and, you know, be completely done with it. Okay. And then he launches into this parable and telling us that, you know, that if we don't forgive, what did he say at the very end? My heavenly father will do the same to you unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. That's some pretty stout stuff there. And so, you know, what we want to do is we want to, we want to look into this par parable a little bit more and see what it says. Now, I just read from the, from the New American Bible, and um, it's not a bad translation, but it's not the greatest. And so in the, in the parable here, it says, when Jesus says, there were, you know, the, the master was settling the accounts and said, one of his servants was brought him who owed him a huge amount. Well, huge amount don't tell us much. In fact, in the original text in Greek, it says a man was brought in who owed 10,000 talents. Now, first we've got to figure out what a talent is, because T-A-L-E-N-T, that's the same word that we use for ability or skill or something like that. That's not what it means here. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the same word, but it means something completely different. Back in the ancient world, a talent was a measure of precious metal. In our day and age, we sell gold and silver and platinum and things like that by the troy ounce. And so, you know, a troy ounce of gold is, I don't know, it's about the size of an American half dollar, only about twice as thick. Um, to, you know, show you that an ounce, is, you know, you can hold it in your hand. But back in those days, a talent, depending on where you were from, whether you were from Rome or Egypt or whatever, Babylon or Persia, a talent weighed anywhere between 40 and 60 pounds, okay? And so we take between 40 and 60, let's just take 50 in the middle, and so if a guy owes 10,000 talents, that means he owns 10,000 50-pound chunks of gold. Well, let's do the math. If you take the 10,000 talents times 50 pounds times 16 ounces per pound times $1,940 an ounce, which is about what gold's going for these days, you come up with $15,600,000,000. Okay? So when, when Jesus, you know, when he, when he says... The man came in who owed 10,000 talents. That tells the reader a lot more than just a huge amount, okay? Jesus, you know, taxed a specific dollar amount to that, that the guy owed $15,600,000,000. Now, you look at that amount of money, it could never be paid back. 
when the guy throws himself at the master's at the master's mercy and says, "Oh, be just be be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full." It's like you got to be kidding. There's no way you'll ever pay this this amount back. The second point question is: is how did the debt get so high to begin with? You know, even if the the man, his wife, his children, his house, you know, they're all sold as slaves, whatever slaves went for back in those days. And then they sold off his house, all of his stuff and everything. There ain't no way they're going to get to $15.6 billion. And so how the debt gets so high to begin with? Well, the way we understand that is not to focus on the magnitude of the offense, but on the magnitude of the offended. Okay, and this brings us to our first piece of trying to, you know, reconcile with God and be reconciled with one another. We always focus on how bad the act was. Okay, and um, and one of the ways that that that's not really a very healthy thing to do is because now you know you hear that I've heard this more times than I can count. Someone will say, "Well, sure." I'll admit to sin X, whatever it is. You know, I admit I drank too much last night. You know, I said some offensive things to some people when I was drunk. But it's not like I killed someone. You know, well, yeah, I admit, you know, I haven't, you know, called my parents in six months. And, you know, I don't really have much to do with them. But it's, it's not like I killed someone. Yeah, you know, I did, like I said, whatever. But it's not like I killed someone. It seems that in most people's mind... As long as we're not committing murder, we're doing okay. Um, that's not the case. And so instead of looking at the magnitude of the offense, murder, which would certainly be very bad, we want to look at the magnitude of the offended. And that is, you know, well, for example, just look here on earth. If, if I did something offensive to a coworker at work and did the same thing against my mother, I think we would say, well, what, what I did against my mother, even though it was the same thing, was worse because she's my mother, as opposed to, you know, just some schmuck at work. Now, the thing is, is that all of our sins are offenses against God. And since God is infinitely infinite in whatever way you want to describe him, he's infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely loving, infinitely good, any offense against the infinite becomes in, an infinite offense, okay? Um, again, see, we, you know, we can see that, you know, if I smashed an egg on a, on a co-worker's head just because I was being nasty, um, that would be bad. You know, I mean, why pick a fight like that? But if I did the same thing, again, to my grandmother, you know, that would, that would just be very disrespectful and, and hurtful and so on. And so, again, you look at the magnitude of the offended rather than the magnitude of the offense, well, the thing of it is, since all of us have offended God, we have offended the infinite, and therefore the magnitude of the offense is also infinite, even if, even if it's just the slightest thing. And so that's, again, that's why Jesus attaches this amount, that, you know, the guy that was brought in for the, for the accounting to the master, who, of course, represents God, um, you know, the, the amount that he owes can never be paid back. What that's showing us is that as individuals, you know, we can try to atone for our sins, you know, and we can, you know, we can do prayer and fasting and almsgiving and so on. But that doesn't record, that doesn't pay God back for what we did. The only thing that pays God back for what we did is his son on the cross. OK. And so, again, I think the, the, the way to understand the first piece of the parable, how the guy is in debt so much is because, again, not because of, of the badness of what he did, but the greatness of who he did it to. All right. 
Then the second one, it says, then after that, you know, that says the master writes off the debt and then the man goes out and he finds a fellow servant of his. And again, in our translation here, it says, owed a much smaller amount. Well, again, that doesn't tell us much. In the original Greek, it says he owed a hundred denarii, okay? A denarius was a silver coin from the Roman Empire, and it was about the size of an American half dollar again. It was made out of silver, and it was the average daily wage of a worker, okay? And so this guy owed the equivalent of 100 days' wages. Well, let's just put some numbers to that. Um, if, if, if a, if a workday is eight hours, and I just pulled $17.50 an hour out of the air, I mean, some people make a heck of a lot more, so don't make quite as much, but you drive around town and you see Help Wanted signs up for various places and they're advertising what they're, what they're paying. You know, anywhere between, I've seen 12, I've seen as much as, you know, 22. So I just pick 1750. If you wanna do the math yourself, you can do it. But if you figure 100 days times eight hours a day times $17.50, that's $14,000. Now. I don't know about you, but to me, $14,000 is a lot of money. Um, this is that's significant, but Jesus picks this amount, I think, for a very specific reason. You know, he could have said, you know, a man was brought in who owed, you know, the price of a cup of coffee. And, and then, you know, people would look at that and go, you got to be kidding. This guy's taking a guy to, to debtor's jail because he owed him. I don't drink coffee. I don't know how much a cup of coffee is, you know, a buck and a quarter or whatever. So this guy's hauling a guy to jail because he owes the price of a cup of coffee. You know, we, we would look at that and we would go, that's just ridiculous. But no, Jesus uses this amount on purpose. You know, the, the guy owed the equivalent of like $14,000. Well, again, to me, that's a significant amount of money. It also tells me something else, that if the, if the guy could afford to loan the guy $14,000, that means he had the money in savings somewhere, right? He had the money to loan, which means that if the guy is slow or cannot pay it back, it doesn't mean that the, the guy who made the loan is gonna be out in the cold. Now granted, you know, no one's gonna be very happy about being out $14,000, but nonetheless, you know, this is a manageable amount. It could be paid back. The thing is, is that we you know when, when Jesus picks that number out, you know, when, you, when we looked at the first figure of 15.6 billion as a ma measure of the offense against God. When he picks this number out, Jesus is telling us, look, I understand when people offend us, you know, when, when, if, if I get offended, if somebody does something that betrays me or offends me or hurts me, the betrayal, the offense, the hurt is real. Jesus isn't just writing that off. He's saying that it's real, it exists, it's significant, you know. And so, um, but the thing of it is, is that, you know, the, the, the amount could be paid back, especially in comparison to what we owe. And so, I, again, I think that's, you know, kind of the first, you know, piece to understand when we get to, when we start looking at the, at the various details of, the, of this parable. Then, when it says then that um, the, the fellow servant uses the very same line, be patient with me and I will pay you back in full. Well, the thing of it is, if the, if the first servant had been patient with the second servant, he could be paid back in full. You know, that's a manageable debt. That could have happened, okay? And, um, but then it says, you know, he, he, but he would refuse. He had nothing to say, he had nothing to do with it, and, you know, puts him in jail, you know, and, and, until he would pay back what he owed. 
And then, um, then Jesus then closes it off with this very haunting line of our Heavenly Father will treat us in exactly the same way unless each of us forgives our brother from the heart. Now, the thing of it is, Jesus being a good Jewish guy, this, this particular teaching is not new or unique to Jesus. If you go back to the Old Testament and you go to the book of Sirach, chapter 28, Sirach tells us this. I'll kind of read it and dissect it as we go. Sirach says, He that takes vengeance will suffer vengeance from the Lord, and God will firmly establish his sins. In other words, those of us that look to exact vengeance on others, then we can expect vengeance from God, and God will, you know, he'll remember our sins in detail. Then Sirach goes on in verse 2. Forgive your neighbor the wrong that he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Does a man harbor anger against another and yet seek healing from the Lord? Does he have no mercy towards a man like himself and yet pray for his own sins? If he himself being flesh maintains wrath, who will make expiation for his sins? Remember the end of your life and cease from enmity. Remember destruction and death and be true to the commandments. Remember the commandments and do not be angry with your neighbor. Remember the covenant of the Most High and overlook ignorance. So here we have, you know, teaching from, from the Old Testament, from you know, what we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, of, you know, Sirach telling us that if we expect forgiveness from God, we, we must forgive as well. And then if you go, if you go to the, the Gospel of St. Matthew again, in chapter 7, where Jesus teaches the Our Father, you know, he says, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, then you get to the end, and Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what verse comes right after that? I will tell you this, it is not for thine the kingdom of the power and the glory forever and ever. That's not part of the Our Father. That comes from the first book of Chronicles, um, whenever um, um, Solomon is dedicating the temple, and um, he, he, that's part of the prayer of dedication. You know, God is, you know, the, recognizing God as a sovereign. It's called a doxology. But instead, in the Gospel, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, whenever Jesus is telling, at the end of it, he says, but lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then Jesus says, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Now, that is a rather loaded statement, and it's in keeping with what we read in, in Sirach and what Jesus says in the parable. One of the phrases or one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot that every time I hear it, I just cringe is this thing called unconditional love. You know, God loves us unconditionally. We are called to love unconditionally. That has to be explained a little bit because a lot of times I think what a lot of people think is, well, if God loves me unconditionally, then I can go off and do whatever I want. And since God loves me unconditionally, it's all good. And furthermore, Christians are called to love unconditionally, supposedly, we'll get to that in a minute. Christians are called to live unconditionally, and so therefore, I can do whatever I want, and if you don't love me, love being approved and, and, you know, cheer me on for what I'm doing, well, then you're just not a good Christian. Well, let's see what this unconditional stuff is all about. First of all, what is a condition? A condition is, if something, then something else, okay? If you mow my yard, then I will pay you $20, Okay, the, the opposite is also true. If you do not mow my yard, then I will not pay you $20. That is a condition. Okay, now, um, gee, didn't Jesus just say, 
if you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. And then the, the opposite is also true. If you do not forgive others, then neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. That is a conditional statement. And so evidently there are conditions. And, um, and if we don't meet those conditions, we're out in the cold. I think one of the ways to understand this is this, is if you start off, I always tell this when I was teaching high school and to make the kids uncomfortable, I'd pick on one of the kids, I'd say, hey, you know, Scotty, um, let's say you get out of the shower, you dry yourself off, and then you wrap your whole body up in saran wrap and plastic wrap, okay? And then like on your ankles and on your, on your neck and on your wrists, you know, you tape it off with duct tape. And so you're sealed up inside this plastic. And then you sit there for a couple, two or three days. You know, well, what's it going to be like after a couple, two or three days? And the kids always cringe like, oh, man, it's going to be sweaty and stinky. And, 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 then, and then I say, yeah, but you took a shower. You know, didn't you jump back in the shower the next day and maybe take two or three showers? How come you're not getting any relief? Because you're wrapped up in plastic. You have to take the plastic off before the shower will do any good. That's one of the conditions of the shower. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Right now, wherever you're at listening to this broadcast, wherever I'm at making this broadcast, are we or are we not being showered with the love and mercy and goodness and all these good things that come to us from God? Heck yeah. It's coming down upon us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But are there conditions to us receiving that stuff? Are there conditions to, to us taking in the love of God into our hearts and souls? Are there conditions to God's mercy and goodness and so forth penetrating our being? There sure are, okay? Um, you know, the, the plastic wrap has to be removed before the refreshing waters can do any good. Well, I think that's what Jesus and Sirach are telling us, that if we want the, the forgiveness thing to work, if we want the, the forgiveness mechanism to work, what makes the thing click and what makes it work is us forgiving others. Now, in the second part of the program, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that forgiveness looks like. But for right now, you know, we have to look at this and say, well, you know, God's forgiveness is not unconditional. There are conditions to it, which are spelled out very clearly in the scriptures. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Or as Sirach says, you know, does a man harbor anger against his neighbor and yet seek healing from the Lord? Does he have no mercy towards a man like himself and yet pray for his own sins? Is he himself being flesh, maintains wrath? Who will, who will make expiation for his sins, okay? And so we can see it's a very biblical notion, you know, very consistent in the Old and the New Testaments that if we expect forgiveness for our sins, then we have to forgive others. And I, you know, then again, one of, the, one of the things I think that we do, one of our problems as human beings is we're very, very good at remembering in detail what's been done to us that caused us grief and pain and so on. And yet the things that we do to others that cause them grief and pain and betrayal and whatever, um, we'd probably be pretty hard to remember those. We, we might remember it and go, well, yeah, but you know, it's not like I killed him. It's not that bad. You know, whereas from the other person's point of view, that was a very real damaging hurt, you know, that, that somebody suffered at your hands or my hands.
And so, you know, we have to, we have to be able to understand, you know, understand this objectively from God's point of view. And that if we, if we're going to play this game of, well, it's not like I killed someone, then, you know, we don't, we don't set ourselves up to understand the magnitude of our offenses and then to be able to seek forgiveness from God, whom we have offended infinitely because of his infinite goodness and kindness. So again, we're going to take a little break here. I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina and the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral Parish here in Salina. And you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, our flagship station where it all began in our diocese with Catholic Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KGOH 89.1 Colby, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program, we're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture and using these Catholic radio waves to do so. So again, stay put, hold on, and listen to the folks that bring this program to you, and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back. I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. And you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword Program here on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 89.1 KGOH Colby, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 101.7 101.7 Lindsburg Salina KJDM and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. And here on the Double-Ed Sword Program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And for this program, we were you know, looking at the, at the notion of forgiveness and the Christian obligation for us to forgive one another as found in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to, where was that, 35. And, um, and so we looked at that parable at the, on the first part of the program here and saw how, you know, the, the guy who, come, who, who is brought in and owes this huge amount, well, we attached a dollar amount to that, that in our money, that would be about $15.6 billion. And the lesser amount that was owed to him by one of his fellow workers was $14,000 and how the 15.6 could never be paid back. But 14,000, that's real, you know, representing the hurt that we suffer at the hands of others, that's real, but it's manageable, okay? And so we, when we looked in at the, at the teachings of the, of the obligation that we have as Christians to forgive others who have hurt us, we look at that and I think a lot of people, rightfully so, get a little bit intimidated. Why? Because the hurt is real. We know what's happened to us. We know what other people have done to us. And, you know, the, the hurt that, that, that people are able to inflict on others is real. It's lasting. And so it really makes it hard to forgive. And a lot of people, you know, will rightly say, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to forgive so-and-so. And I know my Christian faith calls me to do that. But I'm just having a hard time doing it. Well, welcome to the human race. It's hard for everybody. But I think, you know, that what we have to be thinking about here is that you know, on the day of judgment, 
we're going to be looking at each other and there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of acrimony, a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt and pain in their hearts and souls. I mean, geez Louise, just look at all the number of divorces out there. I was talking with a judge one time who heard, you know, a lot of divorce cases and so on. And he just put his face in his hands and he says, you know, father, he says, these people at one time loved each other enough to get married. And now they can't even stand to look at each other. Well, the thing of it is, you look at a, at a situation like that, you know, of an ex-husband and an ex-wife who just despise each other. And yet, you know, what do, what, do the, what do the scriptures tell us? You know, what does Jesus say? If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Is this to say then, because of all the pain that there is with this couple, you know, the, that at one time they were married, um, they probably had kids, you know, they loved each other enough to get married and set up a household, then things went bad, Lord knows why. Maybe one of them took up drinking, maybe one of them had an affair, whatever the case might be, betrayed the relationship. And now, you know, the Bible's telling these people that they have to forgive and love each other, they can't get into heaven. That's exactly what it's saying. And that's why this is, you know, this is such a frightening teaching to so many people. But I think at the same time, you know, the parable that Jesus tells offers us kind of a, a, a way to, not, not a way out, but a way to resolve it, okay? And so we might want to look then at our motivations to forgive. Now, the first one is not the best one, but it's better than nothing. And the first one is fear. And that is, it's like, well, if I don't want to go to hell, I guess I had better forgive this other person. Okay, and that that's kind of the same as what we call imperfect contrition. When we talk about whenever we're whenever we're repenting for our sins against God, the best reason to free, to repent is what's called perfect contrition. I am sorry because my sin has disrupted a relationship of love between God and me, and I want to restore that relationship out of love. You know, that's perfect contrition. That's good. The other one is imperfect contrition. As we said in the after contrition, I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. That's why I'm sorry. Well, at least you're sorry. Um, again, it's not that one's bad and one's good. One's good, the other one's better. Imperfect contrition is good. Perfect contrition is better. Well, if I'm going to forgive someone just out of fear, at least I'm forgiving them. You know, then that that's that's something to to you know, to be held up because at least, you know, I'm not going through life plotting revenge and, and letting myself get ulcers and so on out of anger and acrimony against this person. But again, I think we have to look at the infinite degree to which we've been let off the hook. As I said in the first part of the of the program, the it isn't so much the magnitude of the offense. You know, keep, people are capable of doing terrible, horrible things. You know, we, we read stories about human trafficking. You know, you look at the atrocities that happen during times of war and things like that. Um, that's all bad news. But as bad as that is, even worse is the, the magnitude of the goodness and the holiness and the, you know, the, the power of God toward even the slightest offense against that is an infinite offense because God is infinite. I think one of the ways we can think about this is like this. If we really understand, or if we try to understand, try to appreciate the magnitude of the infinite holiness of God, and then we compare 
you know, our petty grievances that we have with one another. And maybe even they're not petty. Maybe they're significant. You know, I remember reading a story a while back. It was This is supposedly carved in one of the um, walls in one of the concentration camps in Germany. And, um, you know, whether this is, it might not be true. I mean, this sounds like the typical, you know, anti-God, atheistic um, propaganda and acrimony that you find in the media. But the sentiment, I think, is worth, worth looking at. And supposedly scratching this wall, it said, if there is a God, he will have to beg for my forgiveness. In other words, here you got this person suffering these atrocities in a concentration camp. And he said, you know, the, the, the fact that God let this go on, if there is a God, he will have to beg for my forgiveness. Well, you know, again, as bad as those things are that go on, that went on in the concentration camps, compared to offending the infinite goodness and holiness of God, um, it's manageable, you know, believe it or not. And I think one of the ways to, to understand this is this. You know, what if you loaned me, say, 100 bucks, okay? And so I say, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm running out of gas. And I don't get paid to the end of the week. And, and so, you know, oh, well, here, here, I'll loan you $100. So you reach in your wallet and you give me a $100 bill. And I go down and I, you know, fill my car up with gas and maybe go pick up a few groceries or whatever. And I'm good now until payday. And so then payday comes and goes. I get paid, but I don't pay your money back. And um, all of a sudden, you know, between the two of us, it's getting kind of uncomfortable because, you know, I borrowed the money from you on Tuesday. I told you I would pay it back on Friday. And now six months have passed and I haven't paid you back yet. Okay. And so then, you know, this is kind of one of those deals where if we see each other, you know, I'm trying to avoid you. I'm trying to elude you and so on because it's kind of uncomfortable knowing that I haven't paid you back yet. And you're going, you know, I'd like to have my hundred bucks back. And again, it isn't that the hundred dollars bankrupted you, but it's principle of the matter. I told you I would pay you back. I should pay you back. But then you go and buy a lottery ticket and you win one of those billion dollar lotto jackpots. Okay. Now you got a billion dollars burning a hole in your wallet. Do you care about that hundred bucks anymore? Not at all. Okay, um, you you you've you've got money to burn, and so that that hundred bucks that that I owed you at one time, you're not even thinking of it. Before you won the lucky lotto, you were thinking, man, if I had that hundred dollars, I could buy some gasoline. If I had that hundred dollars, you know, I could you know take my wife out for a steak or something like that. But now that you've got a billion dollars, that hundred dollars, you know, it's, it's chump change. It doesn't even matter to you anymore. Well, I think that's one of the ways, one of the paths to forgiveness is that if we can truly reflect upon the magnitude of our offense against God, okay, and then we can reflect upon what we have been let off the hook for, you know, that by Jesus coming and taking our sins upon himself and paying that 15.6 billion dollar debt, you know, to use the example from the parable of the unforgiving servant, that he paid that off, then we would look at that and go, man, compared to what I got let off the hook for, whatever this person did to me, it's nothing. You know, just forget about it. You know, so again, I think that this this parable, when, when we read it, on the one hand, you know, it can put the fear of God into us. Because again, how does the parable end? Jesus says, so will my heavenly father do to each of you if you do not forgive your brother from his heart. Well, that's kind of a frightening prospect. You know, that's a sobering prospect. The fact that, 
that, you know, whenever I sit around and, as, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, what this person did to me and, and, you know, how I would like to get my revenge on them and I'd like to tell them off and I'd like to remind them, I would like to rub it in their face. This is what you did to me. Well, again, you know, you look at what Sirach says. He that takes vengeance will suffer vengeance from the Lord. In other words, there's another if that's another conditional statement. If you desire vengeance, then you will get vengeance from the Lord. And God will firmly establish, you know, your sins. That is to say that if, if we're going to sit around and plot revenge and hold grudges and keep all this acrimony in our heart and souls, the book of Sirach says God does the same thing. You know, what's going to unlock the, the oceans of God's mercy is a repentant heart on our part and also a desire, you know, to, to forgive others as best we can. Now, the thing is, is that, um, it's like I mentioned earlier in the, in the previous segment, we are quick to remember the pain that has been caused us, um, but we're not so capable of remembering the pain that we have caused others. And we, we kind of know how that goes. Now, the thing is, is sometimes in life, what happens? Sometimes we just move on. You know, we, we, we caused or suffered grief, then life happens. You know, people, what happens? They get married or they move away, they get a different job. And, you know, there's just all kinds of other things that enter into life. And, you know, we just kind of, you know, put it out of our mind and, and kind of move on. It's not the most pleasant memory, but eh, we don't hate the person, but we don't love him either. He's not my enemy, but not my friend either. I just moved on and left it behind. Well, you know, that might be a good start. You know, other times, sometimes the toxicity in the relationship is such that while forgiveness may be possible, reconciliation is not. Now, let's talk about those two things. With forgiveness, forgiveness is one-sided. You know, I can forgive you or you can forgive me, okay? Um, but let, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say I did something to you that offended you and you go, well, you know, I'm bigger than this. I'm putting it behind me. You know, I want to, I'm, I'm going to pick up and go on. Um, but if I don't come and, and ask your pardon, okay, if the, you know, for, for there to be reconciliation, there has to be a, a request for pardon and the pardon has to be granted. Otherwise, you don't have reconciliation. We just have forgiveness. Now, on the, when the, when the case of God, God is always ready to pardon. We know that. That's part of his nature as God. But then for ourselves, you know, we're not always that quick to, to seek that pardon. And so in, in the case of an individual person, there might be, you know, that person might forgive me. But if I don't seek that forgiveness, there's no reconciliation. Okay. And again, sometimes the toxicity of the, of the relationship is so bad that, you know, like for the, again, in the case of a, of a case of a bad marriage, you know, the, the, the couple divorces, they go through all that pain and agony and so on. And then at the end, one of the former spouses is going, well, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. You know, I, you know, whatever, you know, my former husband, my former wife, you know, I wish him well, but I got to get on with life. Well, you know, there forgiveness is possible. But reconciliation is not. Okay. Now the thing is, is that what, what is this reconciliation? What does it look like? Whenever, whenever, we, whenever we talk about loving our neighbor and loving our enemies and things like that, in our day and age when love has been reduced to the cheapness of an emotion or a feeling, then we feel, unfortunately, that if I don't have this warm, fuzzy feeling for this person, that I don't love them. 
Well, fortunately, great minds like St. Thomas Aquinas tell us differently. St. Thomas tells us that the, def the definition of love is to will or to work for the good of the other. Okay? And so if, if I can say with a totally clean conscience that, well, so-and-so did such-and-such -such to me, and, you know, it's so bad, I really don't see us ever being friends again or whatever, but, you know, I wish them well. I, I, I hope life treats them well. You know, I've let it go. I hope, you know, my Heavenly Father lets it go. You know, let's just kind of put it behind us. You know, again, we're, we'll probably um, never be friends again, but, you know, God love you. You know, go on your way and, you know, may life bring you good things. You know, if we can say that, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good start, you know. Um, but the thing of it is, and here's the part where the, the part where the rubber really hits the road, and it comes down to this. None of us gets into heaven until all of us loves each of us as much as God loves his own son. Let's look at that again. None of us gets into heaven until all of us loves each of us as much as God loves his own son. Because you stop and think about it. If you stop and think about that person, just take a few seconds right now and think about that one person who most offended, betrayed, hurt, whatever you that you can think of. All right. And so maybe, like I said, you know, it happened 20 years ago. You've since moved on. You've gone on with life. You've kind of got to the point. It's like, well, you know, I wish him well. You know, that was a long time ago, whatever. But then... On the day of judgment, in the communion of saints, we're all going to have to face each other. We're all going to have to look each other in the eye, and we're all going to have to be able to say that I love this person as much as God loves Jesus. Because if not, you think about it, if I'm, let's, let's just say that on the whole earth, there's just me and you, and we got through life and, you know, the, there was something that happened between us to where, you know, we didn't like each other anymore. We went on with life, we did the best we could and everything, and now we're in heaven. What's, what are we gonna do? We don't like each other, in fact, we still hate each other. Um, so are we gonna be in heaven and just kinda try to avoid each other? Or again, there's more than me and you, there's a whole, there's billions of souls, right? And um, Lord knows how many of them made it into heaven. Jesus says, you know, there are few that are making it, many that are missing it, but even a, even a small percentage of a huge number, you know, there's been billions of people on earth. That's a lot of people. And so you have all these souls in heaven and they're playing this game of, well, I stay on my side of heaven and she stays on her side of heaven because we never really liked each other. Well, then how's heaven any different than earth? How's heaven any different than going into the store and I go to the grocery store and I see this person that I despise and I go, well, he's going over to the produce. So I'm going to go over to the meat. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll get our stuff bought and we won't have to look at each other as we, you know, go through the grocery store and get out of here. Well, if that's the case, if heaven, if, if we're going to do the same thing in heaven, then how is heaven any different than earth? Can't be that way. And so we see then that the, you know, when, when Jesus is telling us, when the book of Sirach is telling us of the need to, to repent and the, the need to forgive, again, this, this, is, this is what's going to make heaven work. Um, if we don't have this, heaven's not going to work. Now, the thing of it is, there's the other great um, equalizing device, which is um, um, great consolation, in my opinion, and that's purgatory. And so again, you know, what's purgatory all about? 
And I think in a lot of people's mind, a lot of folks think, well, you know, purgatory is where we go to, you know, have our, our imperfections, you know, ground down and polished down or burned off or whatever, you know, to make us fit for heaven. Well, that's all true. But also I think there's, I think there's a certain aspect of purgatory. There's going to be a whole bunch of people sitting around in a circle with their arms crossed, you know, looking, scowling at the person across them and go, okay, you go first. You know, that is to say, you know, there, there is this person that was in my life at one time and, you know, maybe we started a business together. And so we were going along, we were running the business and everything. And then this person, you know, embezzled all the money and left me with all the debts. And so I spent 20 years of my life paying off the debts while this person's hanging out in Brazil, you know, drinking pina coladas and leading the good life on the money that we made in this business. And so now, but other than that, you know, I worked hard. He repented of what he did and so on. But the fact is the two of us hate each other. And so I think a big part of our purgatory is going to be us sitting apart, sitting on either side of each other, looking at each other and going, okay, how do we put this back together? How do we resolve this? How do we learn to love each other? I forgot who said it, but um, one of the same might have been, might have been Mother Angelica, I can't remember who it was, that said that, Purgatory is where we go to learn to love. We go to purgatory to learn how to love. And again, I think that's what's going to be necessary if this forgiveness that Jesus is putting out is a condition. Remember, you know, forgiveness, all these things, those are not unconditional. If you forgive the sins of others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive the, the other, neither will your Father forgive you. My heavenly Father will treat you in exactly the same way if you do not forgive your brother from your, from your heart. Okay? There, there are conditions here. And so for us to meet those conditions... Um, again, it, I think if, we, if it's just an act of will, if we just go, well, okay, if I have to forgive, I suppose I'll forgive because that's what I have to do. Um, that's probably not going to work very well because, you know, the, the, the ill will is still going to be there. And on the day of judgment, we're going to be looking at each other and going, well, you know, I forgave you because I had to, but I didn't like it. Well, again, then what's heaven going to be like? If you got billions of people that are saying the same thing, heaven's going to be no different than earth. And so there has to be this reconciliation. There has to be, you know, for forgiveness and love between us so that heaven can be the place of perfect joy and bliss that it's supposed to be. And so, again, I think looking at that, this particular parable, when Peter comes up and asks Jesus, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times. You know, Peter's putting his finger right on that human reality that whenever we're wronged, totally forgiving the other, letting it go, putting it behind us and living in peace with that person is a very difficult thing to do. And, um, and then Jesus fires back with no, not seven times, 77 times. You know, in other words, you know, we, we don't forgive completely. We forgive totally, 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 completely. So that, you know, there can be perfect love and harmony between us and everybody so that we, each of us loves all of us as much as God loves his own son. If we don't get there, then, you know, we're not, we're, we're not going to make it into heaven. Um, probably it'll, it'll happen in purgatory. Um, I've heard a couple of different, different takes on that. One, I forgot who said it, said that we do well to mend all of our fences and do all of our atoning that we can while we're here on earth because it's actually easier on earth than it is in purgatory. It's less painful on earth to 
engage with the people with whom we have wronged and seek reconciliation and pardon and peace, it's supposedly easier on earth than it is in purgatory. It's less painful on earth than it is in purgatory. And so we, you know, we want to be able to do that as best we can in the here and now, you know, to, to save ourselves, you know, grief in the, in, the, in the life that is to come while we're in the antechamber of heaven, which is called purgatory, trying to, you know, clean things up and be ready for the, for the, for the joys of heaven. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I'm the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina and the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral here in Salina, Kansas. And you've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on our fine family of Catholic radio stations on KMDG 105.7 Hayes, 89.1 KGOH Colby, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, 101.7 KJDM Lindsburg Salina, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. And we always invite you to go to our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, dvmercy.com. And um, on the on the website, we have all the various things that are happening with, with Catholic Radio. Um, there are archived um, in, uh, installments of the Double-Edged Sword program, as well as the One Body program, both of which are um, produced locally here in, in, in our own Catholic Radio Station family. A lot of it gets syndicated from EWTN. That's great programming, but for us to have two programs that are that are locally produced, that says something a lot of Catholic radio stations that we have here. So we invite you to go back and look at those, and you can listen to them at your leisure. Also, there's the very important donate button. Um, the, these airwaves are brought to you because of you, and so because of our various donors and underwriters and so on, um, we're able to keep these Catholic radio waves on the air um, for the good of so many other souls. And so, again, we invite you to, to come to our website and see what we have to offer there as well. And, um, again, look at, at archived editions of the Double-Edged Sword program, the One Body program, and see what other information is up there. There's always things happening around the diocese that gets put on our website. That's at dvmercy.com. So, again, we thank you for tuning into the program. I look forward to hearing from you, seeing you the next time. In the meantime, goodbye and God bless.